Hey everyone, welcome to episode 116 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina, with a special focus on the SCG Tour. We are your hosts, I'm Chris Caster-Apple, with me as always, Collins Mullen. Hey Collins. What's up Chris? How was SCG Indy? A lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. This was the first tournament that I'd been to in a while where I just kind of like let myself play what I wanted to play mm-hmm. instead of playing what I, you know, thought was the best deck. Um, so I played Kethis Combo. Yeah. And I thought it was definitely very strong mm-hmm. and potentially, you know, could be the best deck in the room as well, which was nice. Yeah. Um, but it's just, I just love that deck so much. It looks like a blast to play. You it, always look like you're yeah. having fun when you're playing. Oh, yeah. So. No, I am. <laughs> Even when you're not just straight turn twoing your opponents. Well, yeah, right. I mean, you know, we can we definitely get some turn twos in there. I almost turn one Jeremy on camera um, uh, at the event, but yeah, we'll yeah. get into that for sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, not quite as backbreaking a showing by Team Lotus Box as the what was it Philly the week before? I can never keep track of what city these things. Yeah, are I think in. Philly was the team, the team yeah, about yeah. the week before. Yeah. Yep. But we still had some good runs. Mm-hmm. I know Zan was very, very close to a top eight. And so that was breakers. a little, little yeah. heartbreaking. Yeah. But yeah, so we are going to talk quite a bit about the modern format because we're right in the middle of what's effectively our modern season at this point. Right. Between Indy and then regionals and then Atlanta. It's really just all modern all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been goofing off a little too much playing standard, but... <laughs> Yeah, we'll we'll talk about that. We're deep in the bit. modern trenches. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Thanks to our newest patron, Michael C. We really appreciate the support. Um, anybody else who would like to become a patron, we've got pins, we got tokens, we got hats, we've got playmats in the works, and uh, we've got our Discord. So join up, come hang out. We, we really appreciate the support from, from those of you who have chosen to support us, and we would love to have anybody else. So thank you. Thank you so much. Um, you've got a keeper mole for us today. I do have a keeper mole. Great. This one is from the tournament uh-huh. with Kethis. So this is some context. I'm playing in the in round 15, mm-hmm. uh, game three against Paul Muller. He's playing Urza Outcome. Okay. Paul Muller not playing Storm at an open. That one ended by up Storm. Being one by Storm. Yeah, that's a bummer for Paul. I'm yeah. sure he's not very excited about that. <laughs> but we all we all got the Emery Urza craze for a little bit. Yep. So, you yep. know, can't fault him too much. No, absolutely not. Yeah, so I'm playing Kethis Combo against Urza Outcome. Mm-hmm. I think this is a pretty good matchup for me. I think I'm just like a turn faster and I have some really good disruptive elements. The hand has three lands, Spire of Industry, Okina, Temple of the Grandfathers. Which is... Taps for a green. It's a forest. It's a it's a forest. Or it gives your legend plus one plus yes. one. A glimmer void. Two chromatic stars. A fatal push and an engineered explosives. Okay, so yeah. this is three lands, two stars, a removal spell, and an engineered explosives. Yeah, and you know the matchup is is this post board? This is yeah. This is game three. Okay. Um, I am on the draw. Uh, so this hand is like you know the elements to this hand are I have the mana that I need. Mm-hmm. I have some disruption in fatal push and engineered explosives. Uh, and then I have like two redraws effectively. Yeah. yeah. And the fatal push is turned on to do the thing it needs to do. You don't mm-hmm. have any fetch lands, but because of the stars, it can kill an Urza or it can kill an Emery yeah. if you need it to. Yeah. So so this was a really interesting one. Spoilers, I kept this hand. Okay. But I don't think that was correct. Okay. And and here's why. Because I was about to fight you on this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did keep this one, and I think I lost the match as a result. Okay. So this hand is very reactive. and kill an, an Urza, and I have EE on zero, you know, to, to mess up their, like, shenanigans, which is really nice. Mm-hmm. But I 
this is round 15 of the tournament, and I, I already, you know, I knew this matchup pretty well going in, but, you know, after playing it several times over the course of the tournament, I really had a good idea of what my plan was in this matchup. Yeah. And there are really two ways that this that the matchup can go that are good for you. You kill them faster than they can do anything about, which happens pretty frequently. You know, you have turn two kills, you have turn three kills very consistently. There's not really much they can do about it. So mulliganing towards a hand that does that is typically very strong. Mm -hmm. The other way that this match can play out, which is really beneficial for you, involves Hope of Gearpur. Hope of Gearpur is really, really strong against Orza. Huh. Or not Orza. Um, Orza as well, but, but Paradoxal Outcome. Mm -hmm. They just can't really do anything that matters to you if you have popped a Hope of Gearpur. They can't, like, cast an Engineered Explosives. They can't go off with Paradoxal Outcome. Uh, did you did you hardlock any of your opponents? Absolutely. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. You just hope, right. sacrifice, <laughs> hit them, sacrifice, yeah. bring it back with Emery. And that was, honestly, I had multiple PO players just concede to Emery plus Hope of Gipper. There was just nothing they could do about it. Okay. Um, and if you get a Teferi in the mix, it's just hardlock. They can't even cast anything <laughs> Yeah, they're turn. just hardlocked out of spells for the rest of the game. <laughs> yeah, so... But the potential of having a draw like that, and you can set that up like starting on turn two. Mm -hmm. It's pretty wild. Or like having a fast combo kill are very, very high as long as you're mulliganing to those kinds of hands. Yeah. But keeping a hand like this that just like has a couple redraws and has a couple interaction spells, this is a hand that you can lose with. Like This, your, your is, this opponent is neither have, of those plans. Yeah, this is neither of those plans. And, you know, your opponent can just like play out a game plan where... Uh, you know, they like maybe they have a second Urza or, you know, maybe they can battle through your engineered explosives and kill you anyways. Or you you kill their Urza and you turn your chromatic star and you draw like a Mox Opal off of it. And then they just like kill you with a 4-4 construct over a couple of turns. Right, right, for sure. So, yeah, so I, I ended up keeping this hand just because I was like, OK, I have like some interaction. This, you know, I can I'm like fine with this game going long, I guess. I shouldn't be fine with this game going along. You're, just, like, you're the aggro opponents. deck in this matchup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm the faster deck. So yeah, this was this was definitely one of the mistakes I made over the weekend, but I thought it was like interesting enough to cool. like lay out why. Right, because it's not like a hand that you're just like, ugh. Like it's got lands, it's got mm -hmm. spells that are relevant to the matchup. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And in the draw, or in the dark, I was keeping hands with just like the good mana and a couple of redraws. Mm -hmm. And I think that was fine, just because, you know, you generally, you know, get there on turn like four or five in, in those games. And I, I think in the dark, that's like fine-ish. Mm -hmm. But, you know, knowing the matchup and, you know, knowing that I have like such excellent hands, like any hand with Emery is just better than this hand. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would I would snap off a five with an Emery on turn one or two, overtaking this. So yeah, definitely live and learn there. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the hope lock it came up quite a bit for me over the weekend, and it was very sweet there were that's many cool. many decks that were pretty cool to it yeah that's really cool yeah yeah deck just seems pretty sweet overall i'm i'm mm -hmm. super interested in seeing this go forward although who knows what this moved up band-aid might <laughs> entail band-aid yeah mox opal maybe question mark maybe but more likely field like so just to like sort of recount what happened with mm -hmm. this the, the band-aid was originally set for uh, November 18th. Yeah. It got moved up to October 21st. Right. Which happens to be between the standard arena mythic championship and then the paper standard mythic championship. Mm -hmm. They also announced that date change 
right after all of the decklists for the Arena Mythic Championship had been turned in. Yeah. Which we now know consisted of 40% Golos Field of the Dead decks. Huh. So the smart money is on... Banning Field of the Dead. Banning Field of the Dead in standard. Um, I believe that that's pretty necessary at this point. Yeah. It's pretty hard to make a case against that. Field of the Dead is just so restrictive on what standard's doing. It yeah. just defines the late game. Nothing's better than it. There's mm-hmm. no, like, field of ruins to keep it in check. Pretty bad. Yeah. So one really interesting way of looking at the standard format, I think, and gives me a little bit of pause with the idea that they're just going to go ahead and ban Field of the Dead. Mm-hmm. Field of the Dead, I think, is half of the problem. Sure. And the other half of the problem, which I believe is also exacerbating the Field of the Dead problem, is the existence of Oko in Standard. (laughs) Basically, Oko tells you that you are dumb for playing permanents. Yeah. Um, If you put creatures on the board, Oko negates them. If you put Planeswalkers on the board, Oko attacks them. If you put artifacts on the board, including the cool cycle of legendary colored artifacts from Throne of Eldraine, Oko just turns them into 3-3s. Oko is so powerful that on its own beats most of the strategies that beat Field of the Dead. You know, the the like Oko plus a Questing Beast just like runs over most of the stuff that people can be doing because Questing Beast beats up all of the three threes and you just can't <laughs> ever do anything against that, that combination of cards. Yeah. So like the Gruel decks, the Adventures decks and stuff like that. Adventures sometimes can draw enough cards that it can get past an Oko, but... It's not easy, but like all of these creature based aggressive decks that would be the things that are supposed to keep ramp decks like Field of the Dead into check. Oko is shutting those down. If Oko didn't exist, then Field of the Dead might be more kept in check by, hey, here's a one drop. Here's a two drop. Here's a three drop. Here's some burn spells or whatever. Right. So I don't know exactly like what the ratio of like which is the most oppressive thing is yeah but they both feel awful to play against until you've constructed your deck very specifically to beat those things right you can't just play good magic cards in combination you can't just play a good strategy you have to play a strategy that is designed to beat a three mana six loyalty planeswalker that turns off your creatures Mm -hmm. and that is designed to win the game before the zombie army takes over and it's a difficult tightrope to walk. Yeah, it's pretty wild. And the other thing that would be, you know, dangerous about banning just one of those things is that it, I think it's pretty clear at this point that the other one would just become the end-all be-all of standard. Right. I mean, the food deck was the second most played deck <laughs> registered for the Mythic Championship. Yep. And it honestly is completely insane with its nut draws if you've ever been on the draw against turn one gilded goose turn two oko turn three questing beast it's just not remotely beatable right you know i'm not calling for an oko ban necessarily but i am calling out the design philosophy that went into this particular card it's pretty wild it feels like a like a modern horizons card that's what (laughs) that's what i was thinking i wanted to just tweet out a picture of oko with like the modern horizons set symbol like photoshopped onto it and just been like aha fixed it and see who like (laughs) right gets it (laughs) it's a modern horizons card it's you know it's seeing a ton of play in modern yeah i think it's just power level just supersedes what standard i think should be about i think so yeah I don't think you should be punished by one of the best cards in the format just for putting creatures into play. 
yeah, like that's one of the main things standard is about, mm-hmm. and and it, it really hurts to get a whole category of card. Like, like what was it an Ari Lax tweet? Like, pretty funny how much effort Wizards went to printing all these different named all these different names and flavor text for three three elks in this format. Oh yeah, yeah, because they knew they would be everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> it's just <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've I've had a you know a Kenrith turned into an elk, and that you know hurts your soul a little bit. Oh yeah. Flavor win though, yeah. I mean, it's <laughs> to, like that's the one creature that's supposed to be turned into an elk, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, but or turned back in. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I should as be able. As, I should be they, able to right. turn him back somehow. But... Right, right, right. It wasn't Oko involved in that too? If you play your own Oko, you can like undo the elk. Yeah. Ooh, hidden mode. Could I? I read some. Well, so I. I like going through old spoiler threads because it's really fun to see what people think is going to be good and what things are. Yeah. So when Oko was spoiled, the original discussion wasn't like oh man, this card is super broken. It was obviously just a lot of speculation about what food was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this whole thread was people like patting each other on the back for figuring out that food was a way of turning creatures back from elks into the creatures that they were supposed to be, <laughs> like after you stole them or something. Amazing. So that's uh, not what it turned out to be. Bummer. The other interesting thing about the ban discussion mm-hmm. is that Arena Ladder is wildly different people are just fed up yeah with, with field of the dead i i think that might be it uh-huh. Golos is a terrible deck to ladder with because your matches take easily 30 plus minutes yeah people just don't enjoy playing these mirrors another thing is that the mythic championship deck lists were submitted over a week ago at this point mm-hmm. so they are kind of old deck lists yeah and some of the like newer developed decks maybe. You know, I don't know exactly what all of these matchup profiles are, and I would be unsurprised if it's still just Golos is actually the best deck. People are just refusing to play it on ladder. But, like, I was playing last night, goofing around on standard when I really should just be practicing modern, but I really, really wanted to hit Mythic with this reanimator deck. Excellent, excellent. And I played against five Wilderness Reclamation decks. <laughs> I played, like, ten matches last night, and I played against five Wilderness Reclamation decks. That's crazy. Yeah. was somebody, Has somebody been, like, talking up Wilderness Reclamation it, that I've missed or I something? I think, like, Brian Gottlieb, like, posted okay. a list or something like that. I saw, like, maybe Emma Handy was talking about Wilderness Reclamation a little bit on yeah. Twitter or something. I played okay. against Emma. Oh, okay. I She drew pretty badly against me. No, oh, bummer. <laughs> but, honestly, that was kind of how it played out. So I was playing this Fires of Invention Reanimator deck, mm-hmm. which, like has to be the best matchup for team of reclamation sure like all of my cards are sorcery speed yeah the, all of my cards that matter are really expensive it's really awkward for me to use counter magic against them because they just end up like in games where we're both holding up counter magic but they have like cantrips and, and twice as much mana as you in chemistry's insight and mm-hmm. like it just even if i'm just trying to do everything i can to keep wilderness reclamation off the table sure like they just make more land drops than me and then i should lose eventually mm-hmm. but I, I went 3-2 in those matches. All right. And it just felt like, you know, my opponents weren't playing the greatest against me all the time. Like, I one opponent just cast a Niv-Mizzet on six, so I just ether gusted it and then killed him. So, Solid. you know, definitely some missteps by my opponents with the deck. But the deck just didn't seem super impressive to me. And I know this is a deck that people are thinking about for, like, the post-ban standard if that happens. Okay. I, I don't. I don't think that that's where it's at, honestly. Yeah. There's, you know, it's a good growth spiral deck. I mean, good growth spiral is great in the deck, but yeah, yeah. it's got a lot of clunkers in it. 
Yeah, I don't know. It it feels like it might do a decent job at beating up Golos. You See, know. that's the thing. I'm not sure it does. No? Because I think Golos actually gets to its endgame before the Wilderness Reclamation deck gets to its endgame. Wild. Because you just ramp harder, put zombies into play. They're very bad at dealing with creatures on the board. Hmm. And you just get them. And then if you put them in a place where they're forced to respond to something and then you cast it to fairy, they don't have a ton of answers to Teferi plus go. Yeah. I'm sure they have some built into the deck. And Mystical Dispute is one of the, the main ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Mystical Dispute goes dead against three mana cards pretty quickly when you're playing Golos. That makes sense. So. Sure. I did hit Mythic with Reanimator last night. Got there. So Excellent. Don't need to talk about it. Too much because we did talk about it last time, but I'm pretty proud of the work I put into this deck. And it seems sweet, very reasonable strategy. Yeah, so I got it to a place where I feel comfortable against the Golos decks. I feel comfortable against the food decks. Although being on the draw versus Goose into Oko into Questing Beast, I rarely win those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but who does? Eh, so it's fine. They need another piece after that usually to beat me because okay. I put three Ether Gusts into my main deck. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. So you. Often draw one of those, catch one of their threats, and then that buys you just enough time to finish the game out, unless mm -hmm. they also have the main deck counterspell of some sort. Reed had four... Oh my god, how am I blanking on the name of counter-target spell with converted mana cost four or greater? Oh, Disdainful Strokes. Yeah, so like Reed registered four <laughs> Disdainful Strokes in his... I'll leave that in just so everybody knows <laughs> right. it happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Reed registered four Disdainful Strokes in his food deck, Yeah, and I think that's obviously for beating Golos. Makes a lot of sense. Also good against me if that's who you're trying to beat. People are just slamming big spells right now. In yeah, standard. you have to. It's yeah. the only way because small spells get crushed by Oko and or just aren't good enough to go over the top of Field of the Dead. Yeah. So yeah. Stroke is great. But yeah. So putting the main deck Ether Gus in was insane because like 90% of the decks in this format are green decks, including lots of like four mana things that Gusting is really good against. Uh, yeah. When you mentioned that, I was like, yeah, okay, that makes sense because... Weren't there like five or so decks at the MC that are not registering yeah. green? Five, yes. Like five total or something yeah. that aren't registering green. It That's was literally 91% of the field. One of those decks was mono red. <laughs> Another one was a Fires of Invention deck. Literally every deck has great targets for Ether Gust. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I put them in. I was Good like, call. I'll board them out when they're bad. Sure. I boarded them out once against Mono Black. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. yeah. So. Just the way that ladder is, you have to like make some pretty specific and be unafraid to make adaptations. Yeah, like like that. Yeah. So, but we mostly want to talk about modern today because modern. Yeah, that's that's what we got on the horizon, and we got some interesting stuff to talk about. Indeed. What were your impressions after playing? So I, you know, I looked at all the deck lists and stuff, and and the meta breakdowns. But after playing through indie, mm -hmm. what were what are your impressions of modern right now? Every deck is bad. <laughs> it's kind of a weird impression to have. But yeah, I don't know. Every you know, I th the conclusion that we came to kind of after this weekend is that these paradoxical outcome decks are not quite there. Mm -hmm. They are clearly very very powerful. They play some crazy busted cards, they do crazy busted play patterns, but something just feels really inherently clunky about these decks. So I don't, you know, everybody was like kind of raving about how like, oh, this is it, this is vintage, and I was definitely guilty of that as well. But these decks are just slightly misbuilt in some way. Yeah. Um, and it's hard to put my finger on that yet, and we're we're working on that right now. We're testing out some different strategies of Urza. Which we'll we'll go into a little bit. Oh yeah, are, for sure. We yeah. got some spicy ones. Yeah. 
but yeah, all the decks that everybody was playing, it I don't know, everybody was like doing nothing for a, like a, a lot of their games. Right, right um, absolutely. And which feels weird for modern is that like everybody's playing these like super powerful decks that just like clunk out like half the time or something. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah, definitely not what I'm used to. Well, I think from the decks that did really well that weekend, they were mostly decks that take advantage of that. True. Yeah. I will say that uh, Amulet Titan looks pretty incredible right now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got a lot of excellent tools in every matchup. Once Upon a Time has definitely proven its worth in that deck. Yeah. Can we go over like the arc? Of like, <laughs> like I, I feel like we've been on a wild ride with Amulet over the course of the past several months. It's true, yeah. It's it's been either you know insane or unplayable. Just unplayable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but so like the steps for its like rise back to being like well clearly was the it's best. Tier, it's tier one. It's tier one, and yeah. was I think the best deck for this past weekend. I mean, Storm won, but it looked like Amulet I was. Think, I think Storm was like a better metagame call. Mm-hmm. But definitely not, like, inherently... It, it was more of a metagame call than just, like, the best deck. Yeah. I think Amulet was the best deck. Yeah. So, step one, you have Faithless Uden getting banned. Yeah. And then the printing of, like, Force of Negation and Force of Vigor, mm-hmm. which kind... And, and Astrolabe. So there's sort of, like, a Blood Moon soft ban going on at the same time as, <laughs> yeah. like, the lo- the Faithless Uden decks leave the format. Right. So that helps Amulet out. Amulet also gains Field of the Dead, mm-hmm. which... Huge. Just the, the biggest upgrade that it's had in a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Just like 20 minutes ago, we were downstairs watching Dylan play Sam Black's control deck. Which I cannot. Uh, not into. <laughs> which you're not into. Yeah. And he was playing against Amulet. And, you know, we were like ahead and in control of the game. And then our opponent just like got a field of the dead into play. And, mm-hmm. you know, we, we like scraped through a way to like bounce a land with Cryptic Command into drawing a assassin's trophy to blow it up and we were like Phew, okay we don't just lose and then they had another one and yeah. and it was the game was over it, just any like mid-range control deck cannot beat field of the dead right um, yeah it's huge upgrade that largely went unnoticed because it was printed when amulet was still like pretty unplayable yeah and then the printing of once upon a time just amulet was one of those decks that when you mulliganed with it you felt like this is a disaster. Yeah. Like, I'm just not going to be able to beat my opponent in this game. And you're going to have to a lot. Yeah. Yeah. But Once Upon a Time helps fix it so you have the right number of regular lands, bounce lands, mana accelerants, and a titan. Like, that's a that's a, a difficult combination of cards to assemble. Mm-hmm. But London Mulligan plus Once Upon a Time, and all of a sudden, you're way more consistent at putting those things together. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it gave the deck so much consistency. And oh, and the, the other card that we're forgetting to mention is the Green Castle. Oh, of course. Um, that just took a turn off of its like average yep. uh, Titan turn. Any non amulet draw, mm-hmm. if you have a scout or whatever, that just you couldn't turn three the Titan before, and now you can. Yeah, and and that's another huge upgrade. Yep. So all of those things dumped into what was already just like a tier 1.5 deck i mm-hmm. think it's definitely pushed it to the top yeah yeah and and in particular it also has pretty good matchups against a lot of the decks people were playing mm-hmm. strong mm-hmm. urza matchup you know just good stuff and you know top it off with it's such a toolbox like you max you absolutely maximize the value of your sideboard slots which in modern is just a key thing to do between summoners pact and primeval titan tutoring up lands every single card in your sideboard you have a lot of copies of 
uh, yeah. in games two and three. And yeah. when the decks in the format aren't all that good, it becomes pretty easy to start attacking them through your sideboard slots and winning these matchups. The second field of the dead in the sideboard. Gigantic. It was great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's definitely going to continue to be a huge element of modern moving forward. Mm-hmm. I think that these, the Urza's decks definitely need work. And then the rest of modern felt, you know, relatively the same. You know, people were still doing just like general modern stuff. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, it, it definitely felt like, and we were talking a lot about this in the car ride home, where when they banned Faithless Looting, they banned like the consistency element. Mm-hmm. So all of the most powerful decks and like the strongest decks have this just like inconsistency element to it. Yep. Um, so I wonder if that's like something that, well, you know what can be taken advantage of. You know what I think fixes that? What? I think Once Upon a Time. Yeah. I think that ends up being the key, and we're going to see the Once Upon a Time decks. And this weekend, we already started seeing it. Um, we saw Once Upon a Time in, obviously, Amulet. Mm-hmm. Uh, we saw it in that Selesnya Eldrazi deck that top-aided. Um, we saw it in John Hobbs's John Deathshadow deck. Yeah. And we saw it in the Druid deck that I think barely missed top eight. So ninth place, virtual top eight, Holden Wolf on uh, a devoted Druid deck. And this was a super, super combo-oriented version with four post-mortem, post-mortem lunge and just a ton of creature tutors and four once upon a time. Yeah. And, and then there also was Lance Cop's mono green Tron list, 11th place. That was a once upon a time version of Tron. You got to squeeze at least a couple more creature threats into your deck to make it good. Mm. But what we're seeing both in standard and modern is just the use of once upon a time in decks that really want specific threats in their opening hand or consistency in mana, blah, blah, blah. But I think that we will see more and more once upon a time play as the format develops and people figure out ways to put it into decks. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For example... If there is a way to fit it into, you know, your Urza Emery deck only works when it has at least one of those cards in its hand. <laughs> right. Like, should that maybe be a Once Upon a Time deck? Maybe. I don't know. Potentially. We're already fitting green in a little bit for, obviously, yeah. Oko. Yeah. And then the other card that we need to talk about. Maybe even better in that deck than Oko. The Goose. The Goose. <laughs> the Goose is so loose. The Goose is loose. Yeah. So one thing that we started figuring out after this tournament was that Gilded Goose had potential in these Urza shells. Yeah. It just works really well with Urza and Emery, just because it's a one-mana artifact. Mm -hmm. I think it's better to look at it as a one-mana artifact than it is to look at it as... It's not a Birds of Paradise. Right. Um, the, The value that Gilded Goose adds to the Urza decks is, like... Being able to generate extra artifacts just kind of on command, mm-hmm. being an artifact itself, you can one-shot out your Urza a turn early, which is huge. Yeah, if you draw Goose, Opal, Bauble, Urza, that's a turn two Urza. Yeah. That's really good. It's Yeah, that's really good. So I, I think that, you know, as we continue to, like, adapt these Urza shells and figure out, like, you know what works what doesn't how to make it less clunky you know we're, we're we're figuring out new cards i think that goose is definitely one of these elements that we overlooked initially i think the first person to suggest goose and the first person i saw being really high on goose when nobody else was was sam black mm-hmm. i think that gilded goose was in most of his like artifacty decks yeah i think um, i think abe took that information from him and then okay. brought it over to us and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then that's how like zan started working on it the version that Zan is working on now is like much more of a mid-rangey. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's even paradoxical outcome in the deck anymore. It's just like a almost 
There, yeah, there were a couple of copies. And I think that going pure mid-rangey, like he has it right now, is mm-hmm. not good. Mm-hmm. I think that you definitely still need the combo-y elements of it. Mm-hmm. But what we did figure out is that, you know, some of the elements of that deck, like Goose and main deck Oko, are probably where we want to be. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, Oko, too, just like, plus one, make an artifact. Like, mm-hmm. you can use those artifacts. Yeah, oh yeah, they're great. Or plus two, I mean, make an artifact. Plus oh, two. Oh, Good excuse Lord. me. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I don't, don't mean to demean his yeah. abilities. Right, right, right. Yeah, figuring out that his make something an elk thing was a plus one was, like, the first, like, mind explosion that I had with Oko. Yeah. It's just going up as it does this, like, disastrous thing for your opponent. Right. Oh, that's a Death Shadow. That is now a 3-3. Three, three. Yeah. You could you can team or battle rage your 3-3 three, three all you like. Yeah, it's it's pretty wild. Yeah. Yeah, so so definitely some tinkering with this. You know, and then while we're talking about Oko, mm-hmm. if you're playing any deck in Magic the Gathering right now and you have green or blue in your deck. Maybe 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 throw some Oko's in there. Maybe splash some Oko's in there. Yeah, maybe maybe just do it. There's <laughs> there's a reason that almost every deck at this Mythic Championship was green. Yeah. And yes, Oko is not in most of the Golos decks, at least main deck. Right. But those decks can mostly ignore the Oko, and that's 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 really big for that's them. That's where you need to be. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, I definitely, you know, I've been trying to brew some sort of... The, the thing is, like, Oko is this three-mana threat and answer package. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've been brainstorming and trying to think of just sort of a mid-range deck based on fast Okos. The earlier you get an Oko out, the 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 easier it is to win a game. Yeah. <laughs> um, so some sort of core of like Arbor Elf, Utopia Sprawl, Oko, and I kind of want to put like Karn the Great Creator in there, like put in some Force Negations and some blue cards. And I, you know, it's probably not a great deck, but like you can see that like super undeveloped, like these are a bunch of good cards, man, acceleration into these Planeswalkers. Like you can see that beating a lot of the normal draws out of the de- modern decks that people are playing. Yeah. Uh, Oko solves a ton of problems. Karn solves a ton of other problems, and then maybe you just play like a weird control deck like that. Who knows? But maybe yeah. Like these planeswalkers are so good, it's unbelievable. Just gotta figure out the best shell to put them in. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and that that's where I've been stalling with like that plan is like, <laughs> what the hell are the other cards in yeah. this deck? Yeah. So far, my favorite Oko decks have definitely been like proactive game ones that don't involve Oko and then sideboarding into Oko post-board. Yep. Another deck that I want to talk a little bit about is Infect, where, uh, you know, we were kind of like brainstorming things about modern. It seems like there's just not a lot of removal right now. Mm-hmm. Most of the decks are just trying to do their own like powerful proactive thing. And that puts Infect in a really good spot. Just, of course. You know, historically. And then Infect is blue green. <laughs> it's perfect. How you handy. Just, you just slap four Okos in the sideboard. You don't even change your mana base. You don't even need to change it. And Oko is what Geist and Traft always wanted to be. Because mm-hmm. yeah. we, we played Geist in in infect before um just as like a, a, a juke plan against decks that just like have a lot of interaction or whatever mm-hmm. um and Oko's just way better yeah it, it, and it's on color you, you and you get to play it on turn two with a noble hierarch it's oh. good <laughs> cool. yep yeah. yep play it with spell pierce backup you know you just can <laughs> do all these like all these wild things right that's why i want that's like the whole idea behind like that mm-hmm. core that i want to make yeah. work is like turn two oko force of negation yeah. you 
Can't lose. Chris walked in on, I think you came in today, and I had, I was oh playing Infect. I was playing Infect. I had an Oko on the battlefield. I had stolen my opponent's Monastery Mentor <laughs> that was playing Blue Light Control. And I had to, just had a bunch of pump spells and protection spells in my hand. And my opponent had zero cards. <laughs> yep. And they they Teferi to yeah. try to bounce the Mentor back to their hand, but you have a Spell Skite, so that doesn't work. So <laughs> their, their play had to be Teferi to try to bounce their Mentor, and then they pathed their own mentor like you were just up six cards or so by the end of this exchange yeah, just, just thanks to oka yeah yeah and you know historically like blue at control not a great matchup i demolished it post board yeah um and you can definitely get an unprepared blue at control player game one um i think for at least this week mm-hmm. sideboarding in okos is just gonna beat a ton of people yeah no absolutely out of whatever deck yeah yeah, you know, Bloic Control, Jeskai Control, like just just any like mid rangey deck just has a huge problem. Takes a lot of lightning helixes to kill an Oko. So many lightning helixes. Plus it's to six. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good luck. Yeah, even the so uh there was a Vengevine deck that won the PTQ mm-hmm. at GPU checked. Yeah. I'm probably saying that city wrong. The important thing is, Vengevine deck won that PTQ, uh, and this is a Glimpse the Unthinkable, Hedron Crab, Memory Sluice. I think this deck is really good. I think it's really good, too. I, I yeah. think I'm probably going to play it this weekend Sweet. at regionals. Yeah. Guess, so. what's, guess what's got on the sideboard? Four Okos. <laughs> Four Okos. Yeah. Of course. Of course it does. Yeah, why not? How, like, because Oko just beats your Infect. Yeah. They bring in a bunch of Fatal Pushes. Right. Here's an Oko. Yeah. Your Dredge. They bring in, I don't care how many rest in pieces they bring in. You yeah. just play Oko. Yeah, it's one two three threes. Great. You yeah. you do you know two pieces of graveyard hate and and a celestial purge or whatever. Here's Oko. <laughs> Oko's here. <laughs> yeah, to solve all of your problems. It's unreal. And then when you're sideboarding in four, even if they do figure out a way to kill the first one, you probably have the second one at that point. So yeah, yeah. What else about modern? Can we talk about Oko's everywhere? Uh, I like Infect right now. I mm-hmm. love Kethys. Probably not going to play it at regionals. Yeah. Just because I think it needs a little bit of work. But uh, it was a ton of fun. The, I think the biggest point that we can give right now about Modern mm-hmm. is if you can put Okos into your sideboard that for this... You, you just should. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know the plan for beating the sideboard at Okos. You know? I don't know if we're back to running Abrupt Decays and decks at some point or what. Well, I think it it's... It's just a card that, like, narrows down the types of archetypes that you can be playing with. Mm-hmm. I think that if you're trying to play, like, some, like, reactive strategy, like, mid-rangey stuff, yeah. you are you need to have some sort of proactive game plan that doesn't get disrupted by Oko right. that easily. You can't kill them with Tarmogoyfs if your Tarmogoyfs are all 3-3s. Three right. You know, and you can't play this, like, all spells and all planeswalkers strategy because Oko just beats that. Yeah. Oko, Oko will kill a Jace. Like, oh, yeah. No problem. Yeah, Jace, Blaring Storm, all right. You know, Oko, make whatever a 3-3 three, three and hit it. Yep. <laughs> it's, it's pretty wild. So, yeah, whatever, whatever like, fundamental strategy you're playing needs to have some elements to it that can, can either go over the top of an Oko mm-hmm. or just not get bricked by, um, you know, just, like, playing permanents that can become 3-3s three that right. you don't want. right. Yeah, even like Amulet, if you have a method for like keeping them from being able to have the card Amulet of Vigor mm-hmm. in play, whether that's like counterspells or or whatever, 
um, Oka does a good job of like solving the Titans. Now, yeah. if they're on the field of the dead plan and you don't have a solution to that too, then you might yeah. just... It's just standard all over again. Field of the dead is a card that trumps yeah. Oko. <laughs> it yeah. does. Yeah. Yeah. But of course, Amulet also has Okos of its own in the sideboard. Yeah. Oh, well, at least at least some of them do. Yeah. For sure. Who Zach Allen, I think, had him in the sideboard from this past weekend. Uh, yeah, I believe so. He had um, a great sideboard. I, I yeah. really liked it. He also had a Manglehorn in the board, which I thought was brilliant. The card is great. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Specifically, artifacts enter the battlefield tapped for your opponents. <laughs> yep, yeah. Makes it pretty, real hard to PO. <laughs> pretty crucial against Paradoxical Outcome. Absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, Modern is in such a strange spot right now. It is in a weird place. Um, it definitely feels like we're in like the, you know, still being shooken up. Definitely haven't like solidified in any particular archetypes. Yeah. I think pretty abusable at the moment. Mm-hmm. And I think that I've, I've like found a good spot to do that. I'm pretty excited to play Infect this weekend. Sure. Been running really well with it on Magic Online. It's always a good sign. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, I walked in as you beat that blue-white player and then just 5-0'd the league. Yep. So, you know, got him. Good time. I'm 2-0 in my next league. I'm excited to go and continue playing some when we're done recording. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think Infect seems great. I mean, against the top eight of this past tournament. Yeah. Just, it seemed amazingly positioned. It would have a bunch of people were talking it. about Tron, Amulet, Storm. Yep. PO. All these decks just, like, don't interact. Yeah. Um, can we talk about Storm for a minute? Because it did win we the should. event. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Storm, <laughs> we were kind of talking like before this past weekend. We were like, Storm seems really good mm-hmm. right now. Really well positioned. But it can't ever beat Burn. No. And I think that we like overestimated the amount of Burn that we expected to be in Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. I think that we thought it was going to be like a reasonable percentage of the metagame just because it was everywhere on Magic Online yeah. the week before. And that that's definitely not really a place that you can play Storm in. Mm-hmm. So we kind of brushed off Storm as an option once we came to that conclusion. But Burn had a terrible weekend in Indy. Mm-hmm. Um, it was definitely around in the early rounds. But I, you know, what one made top eight? Am I crazy in thinking One that? made top eight, yeah. One made top Lost, eight. Lost, I yeah. think Will beat it. Okay. Because Will was set up to beat Burn. Yeah, yeah. But mostly it just like wasn't around on day two. Mm-hmm. And in, you know, so the field that ended up like rising to the top of Indianapolis, Storm was just an amazing metagame call mm-hmm. against. So, and, and Storm particularly preys on fields of decks that don't have much early removal. Yeah. Um, don't have a lot of counter spells and are just kind of trying to do their thing at a medium speed Mm -hmm. because Storm is faster than medium speed. Yeah, and Storm is like kind of historically pretty good against other combo decks just because of the existence of a remand in the Mm -hmm. deck. Because you can just like play out your dude and then have a mana up and then they try to resolve an Urza, you remand it, and then you win in the next turn. Yeah, the remand plus Brawl is just a time-tested combo that very very magic games and everybody's like trying to slam like four mana cards that like unlock doing a bunch of other stuff yeah and if you can hit that choke point then it seems really good for you yeah right on the other hand when you play against decks that are full of only one mana spells then you start to run into some problems yes very true um well one and two mana spells so burn Mm -hmm. um i think death shadow is pretty rough Um, yeah Burn, Death Shadow, Infect. Infect. <laughs> yeah. All of the signposts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think when Storm wins an event, yeah. it then becomes time to play Infect. Yeah. Generally. Yeah. Yeah, I was considering Tron for this weekend, mm-hmm. but I think that I think Tron is a fine choice. Um especially for a tournament like regionals. Yeah. But I think hopefully I can 
leverage my format knowledge and format experience a little more than that so i'll be honest the um the what, what are people calling this tech crab uh <laughs> yeah i don't know dredge crab dredge. it's like sultai crab vine or something like that nice <laughs> i like it i do th- that's like my second choice mm-hmm. for this weekend i think it's really really strong deck gabriel nasif has been playing it a lot on stream doing really well yep we've had him up on our tv downstairs quite a bit the deck looks really strong so definitely cannot fault you for playing that deck but you know if people are prepared with a little bit of graveyard hate it'll be a little worse but it's just it's just another you know super proactive powerful deck that has Oko's in the sideboard. Yeah. That's like the recipe. That's my requirement, I think, for a deck. And one of the main reasons I'm not playing Tron is it doesn't sure. have Oko's. Right. And can't have Oko's. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as far as my, like, if you're green and or blue... It doesn't play, work for Tron. It, it's just a little... Yeah, it's just a little going to be too tough. You can't rely on having your forest and a star to cast your first Oko, and then you can never cast your second yeah. one. I mean, we're trying to cast seven mana Planeswalkers on turn three, yeah. not three mana Planeswalkers. So. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Um so I do want to talk just a little more about this Vengevine deck. Yeah. Uh the I'm a little confused by some of the card choices in the PTQ winning list. Okay. And so these are things that I'm going to honestly I probably won't have much time to put in a bunch of matches, so I'm going to have to do some theorizing and and talking with people about it sure. to figure out what to do. What's the where's the fastest place I can oh, find? Oh god, it's list? really hard to find because it's a PTQ winning list from a GP, so it's not on anywhere. Okay. I'm going to go to Gabe Nasif's Twitter. Yeah, that might be the best bet. Honestly, probably should just steal a Nasif deck list would is going to be my best bet. He's been bet playing a lot of it. Yeah. Um so some stuff that I don't understand about the list are in the sideboard, the, like, you know, traditionally Dredge has a bunch of anti-hate cards in the sideboard. And so that's some combination of, like, Nature's Claims, Assassin's Trophies, that sort of thing. Yeah. This list that won the PTQ had two Ancient Grudges and a Shenanigans and a Blood Crypt you could bring in so you could cast those things. Hmm. And I just don't understand what we're shattering in Modern right now. Yeah, Shatter Effects are pretty bad just because the artifact decks that exist aren't leaning on an artifact care about any yeah. of their artifacts except All... for wurza sometimes gets a bridge right <laughs> but that deck is not nearly as popular anymore well yeah. so actually the day two numbers for these decks so urza was a total of 20 percent of the day two field at mm-hmm. the open i think like it was like seven percent paradoxical outcome seven ish percent like jeskai ascendancy version of paradoxical outcome and then there was a solid like five and a half percent of the field that was on uh, Wurza. Yeah. And I think in particular, Wurza playing a prison role against the paradoxical out against the other Urza decks mm-hmm. is pretty effective. Yeah. Being able to were for Pithing Needle, and I think the other card was Damping Sphere, mm-hmm. was really powerful against these paradoxical outcome decks. Yep. 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 So I, I think that people are sort of playing that deck, but in general, like Shatters are not that good against that deck either yeah so very confusing to me that we were not on you know full-on disenchants like nature's claims or whatever right um i also am a little bothered by the inability of the deck to discard the venge vines and prized amalgams that it draws yeah it's just not capable of doing that yeah and so the deck has like two overgrown tombs in it as the only solution to venge vine in your hand so and I don't know exactly what Nasif has been doing with the deck, but I really want to fit a couple of Haunted Dead in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. This is the um, Shadows over Innistrad, three and a black for a 2-2. When it enters the battlefield, you get a 
a one one flying spirit and you can that, play one in a black and discard two cards from your hand to play put it into play from your graveyard sounds really good as a one of in this deck it's a zombie for grave crawler yep. it triggers your prized amalgams mm-hmm. it puts your venge vines and prized amalgams from your hand into your graveyard when there's yeah. no other way of doing that and you can just mill it pretty easily with because this deck is really good at milling itself yeah um it plays all the like doing it manually mill cards so yeah we got stitcher suppliers memory sluice yeah did i pronounce that right yep you totally did uh, as conspire yeah glimpse the unthinkable the new merfolk secret keeper and he john crab yeah and yeah and of course crabs yeah so i'm gonna give it a shot I definitely disagree with some of the choices from that original ptq list but mm-hmm. definitely kind of a trailblazing sort of thing so so i really like the idea of haunted death yeah, that's the first I've heard of it, and it just sounds perfect for this deck. We'll see. I I can't imagine that the other people playing the deck have not tried it, which is the it's one thing. It's kind of a weird card to think about or to think of. Yeah, I certainly was not close on my radar until he mentioned it. So maybe broke it. It'll be sweet. <laughs> I mean, I'm probably going to even if I don't get to test it at all, I'm going to run it with one or two haunted dead in it. Yeah, just because theoretically seems mm-hmm. great and i would like to maybe we should go on to see stream and say hey what about this card and see if it just you know changes everything I don't want or to you, oh you want to keep the tech no that's not it i don't care about that we're saying it on the podcast <laughs> oh sure sure uh i just don't like going on people's streams and being like the hey what about this guy because oh sure you know you're, you're usually wrong <laughs> because you're in twitch chat and then that you know and that just is a whole element yeah yeah did you see Boreo's Vengeance in 23rd place at the Open? I did not. Yeah. I so didn't. This... I haven't looked through a ton of the deck lists. Okay. Well, I let's... saw I got 69th. That was nice. <laughs> uh, but. <laughs> Brutal. Well. But great, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Just would have been nice to pick up those top 64 points oh, as well. no. Absolutely. Like, even, I mean, even know, for meme value, that's. After I lost the last round, I, I kind of knew that I was out of that. But... Yeah. So Joshua Warren on Boreo's Vengeance. Okay. This is similar. Honestly, I think the 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 concept of this is a little bit similar to, hey, let's play Storm this weekend. You get to play Generator Servant because nobody's fatal pushing you game one. Yeah. So Generator Servant is a two mana two two that you tap and sacrifice it, add two mana. If you cast a creature with this, it gains haste. So that easily leads into turn three, Ilarg the Raised Boar, which puts in a Gristlebrand or an Emrakul when it attacks and just kills them basically yep and merchant of the veil does a decent faithless looting impression in this deck when you only need to discard one card yeah yeah it it comes reasonably close yeah and then yeah it's just got sort of the standard other stuff cathartic reunion collective brutality and then it has the duo of Gorya's vengeance and through the breach so you can win different types of games with it yeah honestly this deck seems totally fine to me yeah, no, I um, I definitely like the look of this. I, I, I did like this shell a lot with Faithless Looting. Mm. It just kind of got, it was, you know, in the metagame, like you just couldn't play a graveyard deck at the time. Right. Um, but now not a lot of people are playing graveyard hate. So yeah. this is definitely back on the menu. And Merchant of the Veil is very strong in these. Um, and, and you have two solid plans for getting around graveyard hate in right. Illar again through the breach. So Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, and, you know, just the concept of you're just very consistently going to be turn three doing something powerful because you have seven, two to five jumps between Generator Servant and Pentad Prism. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you just have the other outlet of, like, playing a discard outlet on turn two and then 
um, casting Gory's Vengeance. I gotta say the Pentad Prism is the thing I'm least sure about in this deck. Really? I love it. Okay. It's great. I just... I mean, yeah, like, jumping to 5-4 through the Breach is... Or Ilharg. Is certainly great. Jumping a 5 for Ilharg is less exciting It's kind of a turn me. 4 at that point. Right. Because it doesn't give it haste. The no-haste Ilharg is a little bit, mm-hmm. like, not my favorite thing. Yeah. Maybe the numbers need to switch up, because currently it's playing 3 Generator Servant, 4 Pentad Prism. Yeah. I can see swapping that. Yeah, I'm just... And I'm sure that... I'm sure that Josh has tested, and, and maybe the Generator Servants just do get killed a little too much, and you want the... Sure. The confidence well, in this, here yeah this is the this is the split that i have always been used to mm-hmm. you yeah. know maybe it's time to change it but i don't know but so you know if if you're trying to just run roughshod over some people mm-hmm. this weekend yeah i could definitely get behind playing this deck get you chalices in the board chalice of the void really smart sideboard card mm-hmm. because chalice on the void on zero right now is really strong yeah 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 good stuff actually you know what card is also good right now um, that not many decks can run, and also is unfortunately not green, so it's a little more difficult to tutor up, but Lavinia is quite good too. So, you know, this is mostly a card that has been bonkers in vintage uh, since Lavinia. she was printed. I don't so know what Lavinia does. This is the blue-white 2-2 legendary creature. Oh. Um, if your opponent casts a spell without paying mana for it, counters that spell, mm-hmm. uh, you're, and your opponent like can't p- play spells with converted mana costs larger than the number of lands that they have, so very good against Tron, very good against any of these zero mana artifact decks. Yeah. Um, I think they're, that it is now, we're now at a point where that's a hate card with enough application that it's worth looking into. What's that creature type of Lavinia? It's a human. Ah, sweet. So, you know, humans still kind of are having a rough go of it, but. Uh, yeah, I lost to humans last weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it can happen. Certainly Thalia is a great card against a lot of these decks. True. Sure. I don't know. I guess I'm still a little bit. I don't have a great grasp. I don't have a great like. Here, let me sit down and tell you why humans is really bad right now. Mm-hmm. I don't have a good solid like explanation well, beyond individual cards being good against humans that some people are playing. Um, I mean I, that is a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and because all of the decks that humans was traditionally good against have some like knock out of the park card against them okay like engineer explosives is a four of yeah in a lot of decks right now that's certainly a big problem yeah you know and the combination of like that and emery just being able to recur it is just really tough Mm -hmm. um but i mean you can certainly do a lot of stuff to combat against that like collector roof is an excellent card for them yep you know pretty easy to cast in the deck so I, I could see some arguments for humans coming back, but it just seems to not exist anywhere. Huh. And I haven't, I'll be honest, I haven't run any leagues with it in the past couple of, in the past month or so. So, yeah, I don't have a good answer for that. Hmm. Yeah. Maybe it's time. Maybe we need to crack out the Lavinias and the Collector Roofs and see if the combination can. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you definitely are leaning on those sideboard hate cards the the quad engineered explosives in a lot of these artifact decks is that's a tough pill to swallow for sure just the speed at which they can get those explosives into play yeah and then just re explode you yeah 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 that's difficult indeed get the twos get the ones or get the threes if you've got the mantis rider in play like it's just not it's not feasible yeah i guess nothing else like too interesting there is a little bit of a split uh, between Once Upon a Time and non-Once Upon a Time Tron decks. Uh, yeah, definitely not a consensus on that at the moment. I was, you know, I would normally default to 
grabbing Dom's list and going from there. Mm-hmm. Dom was not on Once Upon a Time. Yeah. Uh, Lance, who finished 11th, was, um, and I was talking to Dylan about it, and he also played a Once Upon a Time Tron deck this weekend. He did, yeah. And he said that, you know, he just felt that Once Upon a Time was incredible in the mm-hmm. deck. So. Yep. Yeah, I can definitely see arguments for it. I don't know if Dylan has any point of reference for that. I don't think he's ever played Tron before, but... Um, <laughs> You know, he definitely knows a, a a good card when he sees one. Yeah, so. he's not. He's definitely good at evaluating like how good cards are in their context. Yeah, so. no, for sure. Um, one thing that I think may be what happens going forward is if we hit a point where these Urza decks become not twenty percent of the metagame, mm-hmm. either because of a Mox Opal ban or just because they start getting pushed out by whatever, and we get to a spot where Tron doesn't really have any interest in Karn the Great Creator anymore. That opens up a lot of slots for creature threats in the deck. Yeah. And then once you're like, okay, I'm going up to two Ulamogs and an Emrakul and the fourth Wormcoil engine and these two Walking Ballistas or whatever, that makes Once Upon a Time much, much better. And then I think overall that ends up making Tron a better deck once it's once its threats are allowed to be not Karn the Great Creator. It all kind of ties in at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, but I you know, it's just it's hard right now because the threats that you want are mainly the planeswalkers. Yeah. No. They're they're the good cards right now. The entire reason to play Tron right now is to play Karn the Great Creator. Yeah. Like yeah, it's, it's just too way. good. I also don't love Lance's list. Just a couple of things really bother me. Uh being down to one Oblivion Stone, I think is setting yourself up. It feels weird, especially because that card's so good against Urza. Yeah. But I don't know. Like, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me to be running Ugin's over Oblivion Stones, mm-hmm. um, which is what he's chosen to do. Probably is a concession to Once Upon a Time. Or, you he, said Ugin? Ugin, yeah, yeah. Oh. He he is running the Ulamogs, which certainly is a okay. concession to Once Upon a Time. Okay, but okay. also, like, his sweepers are one Oblivion Stone and two, two Ugin. Ugins. Yeah. Um, Ugin famously does not wipe out their colorless artifacts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not going to do it. So, uh, I... I can't quite get on board with that. Also, um, one thing that I really liked about Dom's list was the main deck dismembers. Just yeah. gives you a lot more game. I was thinking about it. Dismember feels really strong right now. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the threats that you want to kill are for toughness. Mm-hmm. And there's not a lot like pressuring your life total. Yeah, that's so the thing. Dismember seems like a great fit. Yep. And, you know, everybody wants to play playing green and blue decks. So, you know, right. might, might as well might as well have your removal spell be the colorless one. Yep. Yeah. And definitely, I think that that fact that your life total is not under that much pressure except against exactly burn is like a really big part of why Dismember is good. It The life payment is ne- just absolutely meaningless when you're killing an Urza with your Dismember. Yeah. And pretty meaningless when you're killing a Goblin Electromancer with your dismember. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, should we do a Patreon question of the week? Absolutely. Great. Let's look up what our Patreon questions of the week are. Proggy Boog asks, One thing I've been struggling with lately is how to sideboard in games where you're running a wish package. Uh, Karn the Great Creator, Fae of Wishes, Glittering Wish, etc. What's your approach here? Um, and of course, the thing is that the wish package takes up a lot of your sideboard. Yeah, so you generally don't have access to quite as many cards that you'd normally just like want to board in. Mm-hmm. 
Um, yeah, and you know, it's the it's the struggle of I, I still want these access to these with my wishes, but if I have a card that's really good in this matchup, where do I want it? Do I want it in my wishboard or do I want it in my mech right. to draw it? So, so there's I think there's like two things here. Number one is like the things that come up during deck building mm-hmm. where you're trying to figure out what is the composition, how many cards are going in and out in each of these matchups, how many slots can I afford to have dedicated to wish cards. Yeah. And then, yeah, there's the actual sideboarding. Mm-hmm. Is bringing in these wish cards better for me or worse for me? Do I want... I mean, a big determiner there is... Is this the type of card that in this matchup I need access to early, or can I afford to wait until I'm able to wish for it and then cast it? Yeah. So, for example, in my sideboard uh, with the the reanimator deck, which is a Fey of Wishes deck, I have several wish slots. However, a number of my cards that are one ofs that are really there to be wished for do come in in certain matchups mm-hmm. um in particular like i have one legion's end in there yeah it's in the sideboard because you can wish for it to clear out a bunch of zombies or a hydroid crisis and the hydroid crisis in their hand and even if you don't have a fires of invention during doing that on turn six often counts is, yeah. is good enough but i have an agent of treachery in my deck that's pretty bad against mono red so I take that out and I put in my one legions end, and yeah. that's my sideboard plan against mono red because the rest of my deck is pretty good for that <laughs> matchup. Um, nice, but you know, like I would never plan to wish for legions end against mono red. So that's a difference maker mm-hmm. of do I want it in my deck or do I want yeah. it in my sideboard? In that and matchup. I, I think that's like the crux to the answer to this question is that you really need to think about how the games are going to play out mm-hmm. in order to determine which cards you imagine you're going to need to wish for, and that's, like, part of your game plan of, like, how you expect the matchup to play out, and then which cards you really just want to draw and, like, play on curve. Yep. I think a good example of this are, like, your graveyard hate artifacts out of a Tron deck. You typically want to play your Grafttigger's Cage against Dredge on turn one. Mm-hmm. So I would board in Grafttigger's Cage. Yep. But if a big element of your plan in the matchup is to wish on turn like play your Karn on turn four and then uh Whoa. we're in london <clears throat> that Karn's coming into play on turn three fair enough yeah yeah but i, I <laughs> guess like this is more of like an eldrazi tron thing okay because they play okay. oh sure <laughs> I, I'm, I'm trying to come up with an example i know just... i'm sorry i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> so one thing that eldrazi tron their plan against uh graveyard decks is to turn for Karn, wish for a Tormod's Crypt, and play it on the same turn. Yeah. So that would be an example of a card that you would want to keep in your sideboard because you have that like you know depending on the matchup, of course, like maybe you really need your Tormod's Crypt earlier, but it, it would be an example of a of a time where part of your plan is to like play this and and wish for this particular card. Right. So you need in order to figure out like how you're gonna sideboard and which cards to bring in and which cards to keep in your sideboard. Just, I think the like the best answer would be figure out based on the way that you get, expect the games to play out, which ones you're you expect to need to wish for, and which ones you just like want to draw yep. and cast as normal cards. Yeah, definitely. And these are questions that come up well before you get into the match. And I think when you have a wish board, it is even more important than when you have a sideboard to figure out what you're general in-out plans yeah. are. Yeah. Because, you know, if your deck is built and you have several counterspells main deck, and then you play against an aggro deck, and you just don't have cheap cards to bring in for those counterspells, 
and now you're stuck with these counter spells while your opponent is casting Scorch Spitter or whatever against you. Hmm. That's really bad, and you need to have set yourself up to not run into those situations. And since your your tolerances are so tight when you are taking up seven or eight cards of your sideboard with wish targets, it takes a little extra effort on the outset of the things. Because, you know, your sideboard that you threw together or, you know, just put together with the answers that you think are good in this format, like you will just happen to have three one mana removal spells, three disfigures or fatal pushes, depending on format or whatever. And you just like swap them out. Good. You're done. You need to be a little more careful when you have like half of the actual sideboard space. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Fae of Wishes, it's a little easier to figure out what you can bring in out of your wish targets because a bunch of them just aren't castable unless you have Fires of Invention in play. <laughs> so those I tend to leave in the sideboard. Yeah, don't want to draw those. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that that what you were saying about just like, picture how the game is going to play out. When do you need this? That turn five graph figures cage is not going to help you. So right. yeah, for sure. Awesome. I think that was a good clean episode. Yeah. A little short on the shorter end, but... Uh, I think it's still... We still hit on the major points. Um, gonna attack Modern this weekend. Regionals gonna... this weekend. Yeah. I think I'm gonna pull the trigger on my metagame read for Infect. Yep. I think that's like the under-the-radar deck that is really well-positioned at the moment yep. and fills my requirement for Oko, so... Definitely. <laughs> yep, and I, I'm like pretty... Since I found those memory sluices and I... Uh, Consulted with my card borrowing source, Jay Carter, friend of the show, and really just, you know, the person who allows me to play formats that I couldn't play otherwise. Um, He's good for that. But he owns Glimpse the Unthinkables, which is really important. Oh, there you go. I don't. Yeah. Uh, And I think I own the rest of the deck, so we should be good from here. Nice. I'm going to Venge find some folks, and I I think it'll be good. And I'm also going to Oko some folks. Yeah. I hope to as well Oko some folks. (laughs) Cool. Uh, all right, chat is honking at us, which I think means that it's probably time to wrap things up. <laughs> Excellent. All right, chat, thank you for hanging out. Appreciate you stopping by. Everybody listening at home, thank you so much. We definitely really, really appreciate it. If you want to lend us some support, you can head over to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast. If you want to head over straight to our website, you can go to mtggrindcast.com. We've got all the episodes there. We've got links to our Patreon, links to social media, Collins' coaching services. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter. Podcast Twitter is at mtg underscore grindcast. I am tweeting from at ccr underscore grindcast. Collins is also on Twitter. At Collins Mullen. Thank you so much for listening. Really, really appreciate it. And have a great week. Peace. <laughs>